Thanks for tuning in to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley. Thirst for More podcast was created to help strength and conditioning coaches, personal trainers, fitness enthusiasts, and anyone that loves lifting heavy shit all be connected under one roof. We take deep dives into coaching, programming and training, running gyms, nutrition, and overall improving your knowledge in the field of strength and conditioning. If you're new here, I'm glad you're able to tune in and hope you can just take away one awesome piece of information today to help you along with your journey. If you're a returning supporter, I appreciate you being along for the ride. Now let's dive into today's episode. What's up? Brandon Smilly here from the Thirst More Podcast, episode 34, the end of the month Q&A and lecture-based series. And today we're going to talk about bench press weak point programming. So if you were over on my YouTube channel, I posted a questionnaire poll kind of thing, seeing what people kind of wanted me to talk about. Last week was an absolute wild week for me in terms of hosting the USAPL Collegiate Crossroads Showdown in my facility where we had almost 100 collegiate lifters from various universities around the Midwest. Uh, we had IU, Purdue, Davenport, U of I, which is the University of Indianapolis, uh, and also University of Miami from Ohio and Indiana State University. So we had a good turnout for that. And so that left me really busy, really stressed, uh, just did not have it in me to create any kind of content the day after. Uh, I kind of needed the day to rest and digest, so to speak. And I highly encourage you to do that if you get the opportunity to. So with today's q and I kind of wanted to leave it up to you guys. I wanted to make it a little bit more specific towards what my audience wanted to see. So before I get started, uh, I've really wanted to try to help NutriBio out. And so we're making sure that you've got access to this discount code on the screen that you're seeing now. So whether you're walking, watching this in the past, again, thanks for tuning in after the fact. If you happen to be live, you can find that on the screen, but that's bsmitley10 at checkout. We'll save you 10% on your order at NutriBio. Um, and I appreciate them working with me on everything for the past 10 years. And so we're trying to make sure that we give you guys a heck of a deal as well. Uh, whenever you choose to shop with them and use their products, only products that I use uh, myself as well, I recommend for all my athletes and clients. So again, you can save 10% by doing that. So um, to get started here today, we're going to go over, like I said, bench press weak point programming. And this is what was actually requested through YouTube. So we're going to talk about everything bench press related and helping you where you're having issues at. Okay. So the First thing here, whoops, wrong screen. There we go. First thing is we're going to talk about technique because without discussing technique, um, it doesn't really matter where you're missing. You need to develop good quality technique first on your bench press. And just to let you know, this is a lot of stuff that I've taken from my building the raw bench press over at elitefts.com. You can find the whole article there. I go over a lot of this. I'm using a lot of that content because none of it has really changed. I do have some updates that I'll be talking about at the very end of the presentation. Uh, so make sure you want to stick around for that to get that information. So the first thing from a technical perspective on your bench press is going to be focusing on your leg drive. So your feet need to be either flat or tucked. That's from a competition standpoint, that's up to you and what federation you're doing, but you need good quality leg drive and utilization of that throughout the whole bench press from beginning to end. You also want to make sure you've got the bar squeezed fleshly in your hand, knuckles towards the ceiling and weight is going to be settled in your lats. That way you've got a place for that bar to sit into your upper back. 
Then on the descent, as you're lowering, you're going to actually try to pull the bar apart and controllably. So you want to make sure your pinky and your ring finger are squeezed incredibly well. You're going to lower that towards your chest. And then obviously you do that controllably. We'll kind of talk about how you do that with the lats here in a little bit. We want to make sure that your elbows still remain tucked to some degree. So you don't want your elbows flared out really bad. That's going to be hard on your shoulder. You're not going to have any kind of power. The technique in coaching QAUs like you use with kids is if you're going to go push the truck down the road after it stalls or it dies, you're going to push with your elbows in by your side. You're not going to push with it out here, right? So you're going to be in a good, powerful position where you can create as much force. That's how we want to bench press as well. We just want to make sure our elbows aren't tucked in, actually touching our sides. They're going to be around a 30 to 50 degree angle. You'll find some different literature there. Uh, but really, it's ultimately what's comfortable for you, but you do want to make sure that your elbows are tucked to some degree, and ideally that your wrist is right over your elbow. Next, you want to make sure that your belly should be full. So when you take that big breath in, your belly is full, but also towards your chest and up so that you can decrease that range of motion and meet the bar better. And then this kind of goes with the descent or after the unrack, but that your scapulas, your shoulder blades are actually pulled back and down together into your back pockets. They're wedged into position to help you optimize your pressing power, and then uh, there will be some sort of an arch that could be small, that could be big. It just depends upon your mobility and your flexibility, the federation that you're in, and overall what your goals are. If you're a performance athlete, it may not be as much, uh, but if you are a competitive powerlifter, you want to optimize that arch to decrease range of motion. Decrease range of motion just means that you're going to be able to press more in the long run. Okay, so now that we've got the technique part kind of covered, we're going to talk about the bench press needs and analysis. So what do you need to be a strong bencher? You're going to need strong chest and pecs, and this is going to be controversial, but there's a reason why people tear their pecs when they bench competitively uh, more so than almost any other muscle. You'll see some tricep tears here and there. But, but generally, again, it's going to be chest and the pecs that gets torn. So obviously that's showing that they are a prime mover. It's just going to be different than your like bro bench press with, again, your elbows out here. I would argue that's actually going to be harder on your shoulder if you kind of keep them tucked to some degree like you're supposed to. You're going to limit some of that strain, but again, you can still actually tweak your pe your chest and your pecs, but they are going to be the prime thing that we're after here in terms of in building your pressing power. Next is going to be triceps. Definitely one of the most underutilized muscles for the bench press and trained muscles. Uh, so we're going to talk about that quite a bit because I think that's where most people need to focus a little bit more time if they want to improve their bench press. I think most people, when they go to improve their bench press, are trying to focus on just chest development, and they probably actually have too much of that and not a tricep, which is why they have issues. Again, we'll talk about that here in a second. And then the third is going to be understanding the importance and the role of the lats in your bench press. So the lats are not the prime mover, and we'll kind of talk about that here in a minute. But you do have to have strong lats to maintain position in your bench press. If you don't, I mean, first of all, you're not going to see anybody that is a big bencher with a small back. It's not going to happen. Uh, you've got to have good lat, good upper back development, and that's going to help you own your bench press position, specifically on the chest. And then the last needs analysis is going to be your shoulders. And from a plethora of examples here, you know, the anterior part of your shoulder, more so for the pressing or off the chest strength, that your anterior shoulder is going to do some of that work. Your medial or side delt isn't really going to do a lot in terms of building your bench press. You still need to train it for health and longevity purposes and keeping your shoulders happy. Uh, but just because you've got giant lateral delts isn't going to do a whole lot for your bench press. And then your rear delts slash upper back is going to be more for 
the health and the longevity of your shoulders. You've got a nice big quality rear delt back there. One, you can sit that into your lats better. You're going to decrease your range of motion. You're going to have a better place to push from. Uh, so that is important. It's just, again, not at that top tier level of importance. So from the programming consideration side, um, you know, there's different things that you need to consider here. And the first one's going to be specificity. Obviously, if you want to get better at bench pressing, you've got to bench press. The question is going to be how much do you need to bench press in that exact pattern to continue to get better at it? You need to just start more general and work towards specific over time, uh, but you do need to have quality technique. So if your technique sucks, then you need more specificity to dial in that technique, get more repetitions with the barbell. Once your technique has gotten good, even I would say good in terms of like eight and a half out of 10, there's some minor things that could be improved. You can address that through more submaximal work um, and then, you know, dabble it in over time and continue to work on it or find different variations that let you work on that that aren't exactly specific towards the exercise. So example might be bench pressing against chains or bands or doing pin presses. Those can help you from a technical perspective, but they're not going to be exactly specific towards the movement, obviously, of a one rep max bench press. But again, if you have all those things down, you might be able to do more general based work and still see your bench press improve, which is kind of what this whole lecture slash topic is about, is that if you can focus on bringing up your weak points, your bench press will move without having to bench press more than what you currently are. And that's optimizing your training, and that's what would be ideal. The next thing would be frequency. Um, The bench press is unique is that generally I would say Compared to the main three lifts, squat, bench, and deadlift, you can do more frequency on bench press than any of the other lifts. And that's mainly for two reasons. The first is that you're using less overall load than any of the other lifts, right? You're going to deadlift and you're going to squat more than you can bench press. I mean, at least theoretically you should. Once you get to a strength level, you can. I'm sure there's people that bench press more than they squat just because they don't squat and they don't train their lower body. But if you are trained, you're going to squat and deadlift especially in powerlifting, more than you can bench press. End of discussion. So therefore, since you've got more systematic, I'm sorry, less systematic fatigue in terms of weight and load, you're going to be able to cover more. Your body's not going to have to feel as stressed. Um, And then the second thing is just going to be that you're using less overall muscle mass. So, you know, your chest is not exactly a giant muscle. Your, your back is not doing like a bent over row or maintaining position in a deadlift. Um, so you're going to be okay there. Uh, and then obviously like your squat, you've got your quads and your hamstrings, and your glutes, big muscles that are asking to move a lot of weight where the bench press, you're talking shoulders, triceps, chest, and a little bit of back recruitment to maintain position. So in terms of recovery, you can recover more. And if you can recover more, it means you can train more. So your frequency can be higher. So generally you'll see most people probably bench press twice a week on average. You'll see some people that drift anywhere up to that three times a week. That gets to things to be balance wise a little bit harder. And then you've also got to figure out how you're going to do your squat and your deadlift programming around that. But all things considered, you should be able to bench more than the other two lifts um, in your programming. So keep that in mind. But I think also the other thing you can keep in mind is from the frequency that you can train different muscle groups throughout the week to target where you need specific work. And if you do that, then what you're going to find is you can optimize your training without having to necessarily bench three or four times a week. You could still bench twice a week and have a third day that brings up the weaknesses that we're going to kind of talk about here today. And then the other final thing is hypertrophy. 
generally speaking, if you see somebody with a big bench press, they have a big upper body. All right. There's a appreciable amount of muscle mass, especially in the raw community. Um, assuming they don't have some massive, you know, freak show arch, if they've got just a moderate and normal bench arch, they're usually pretty big. And, you know, that's going to come with the fact that increased size is going to decrease range of motion. You know, if you're thicker, you're going to have to press less. If you've got bigger arms, bigger shoulders, bigger chest, bigger back, you're going to move more weight. It's just the way that it works. So for many people, adding muscle mass can be some of the best thing that you can do for your bench press. Don't pigeonhole yourself into a competitive weight class unless if you are already competitive. If you are you know, not winning meets and you're not winning your weight classes, some of the best things that you can do is just continue to put quality weight on and fill out your frame, in specific the upper body size uh, as well. So you want to try to make sure that if you're a big guy, you are trying to fill that out. If you're a small guy you, or a small girl, I'm sorry, you're still trying to put on muscle mass to help your bench press because uh, it's going to help you in the long run. All right, so types of areas to address for a bench press. There's three main areas that I think you need to address. It's just going to have to ask yourself, where are you having issues with your bench press? And so the first one's going to be off the chest. So you're missing maybe an inch or so, maybe an inch and a half, two inches at the absolute most, uh, and your arms or your elbows start to flare out and the bar stops. That could be a technical thing, but we're going to assume that your technique is still good. So that that's what's happening underneath like a one rep max miss at a meet in a competitive scene, what do you need to do? And then the next would be that same thing. You're still missing off the chest, but what I would call a true miss or strength issue. So your actual elbow and arm angle stays where it needs to, and you look like you just run out of steam or you don't have the strength. Assuming that you're not making a egregious jump over something that's attainable. You know, if you bench 300 and you take 350 and you miss, well, obviously, right? But if you go from 300 to 305 and it looks like you got stapled, why is that five pounds the limiting factor? What's going on of why you're missing right off your chest? To me, that would be a true miss or a strength issue is particularly off the chest, uh, assuming technique is the same. And then the last would be two to four inches off the chest. So what most people call your midway or your lockout strength. Um, so you're actually getting the weight off your chest. It's actually moving and then it just stalls or slows down. That's going to be a different way to address your bench press as well. So those are the three things that I would ideally like to look at. The first one going to be, again, the elbow flare, your arms flaring, or something technical in the arms happens of why you're missing. The second is just going to be you're missing off the chest, but it's just a, you know, something's going on at the chest level in terms of strength. And you're just, there's a, there's a limiter there. And then the lockout piece. Okay. So I'm going to try to blow these up just a little bit so we can see these a little bit better. Um, so this is my like weak point index. I've got other exercises I've kind of added to this as well, uh, in my mental checklist. But again, I took this off my article from elite FTS because just trying to remake it was going to be done. This is a great list and good uh, place to start. But if you're missing at the chest and you're having that elbow flare, I've essentially lined out here how you can attack this through different parts of your programming. And those different parts would be, whether it be your main movement your supplemental or basically your secondary movement of the day or your accessory work. And I think it's important that you kind of tailor these towards what you need. Um, there will be crossover between these three things that I'm going to discuss here today. So don't think like, oh, this is just for this one particular uh, issue. It could obviously go over into other issues, especially when you talk about the accessory work. It's pretty general in nature. Um, but in terms of talking about that elbow flare, 
Some of the main movements I have listed are a one board press, a foam board press, uh, a reverse band bench press using not a whole lot of band tension, tension, so like a micro or a mini band. So just enough to give you a little bit of help. Um, again, I want to make sure I emphasize that it's not going to be like a light band where you're going to have a big discrepancy in band tension, very small band tension there. Um, a close grip bench press, close grip one board, close grip four board, close grip reverse band. So you kind of got the same kind of exercises there. Those are going to help teach you position um, because obviously you're having issues flaring. So what that means is that your lats aren't able to maintain position or your triceps are just not strong enough compared to your pecs and your, and your shoulders. So those two muscle groups are taking over. And so you're beginning to flare to try to favor them. But when you do that, then you obviously put your wrist and your um, elbow out of position when it comes to bench press. And then you're just going to lose all your umph. Okay. So again, we talk about pushing something, an object out of the way. We want these stacked. When they go like this, we stop moving essentially. And essentially that's what's happening. So by having increased lat strength and more tricep strength to push, we don't have to flare out to favor those positions. So these movements are again, ideally ones that would do it. So if you're going to attack it from a main movement perspective, that's where I would start. If you're looking at a supplemental movement, so say you still want to bench press as your main movement every day, totally fine but you want to find a supplemental movement. Um, I really like the tempo bench press, JM presses, close grip two boards, close grip floor press, or a spoto press. So the reason these exercises change is because since they're supplemental, we're not going to be taking like singles, doubles, and triples. We're going to do more repetitions. Uh, I've got here five to 10. You could obviously even make this like three to six if you really want to go on the heavier end. But again, if we're talking about trying to, to get repetitions at this time, um, I think having a little bit higher repetitions there, 10 might be a little bit high for some of these, especially like a tempo against why it's a range. But we're talking about, again, developing the positioning of your elbows. And so tempo work can be great. So, you know, you can have like a two second eccentric. So it's a little bit slower than normal, but then you can accentuate that pause and then press as strong as you can. That's going to make you stay tight where you need to off the chest that so you're not going to flare, but use manageable loads to ingrain a movement pattern. Again, I think that's incredibly important is teaching your body how to do things correctly because if you're constantly grinding and doing it incorrectly, you're just uh, reinforcing bad motor patterns. And we don't want that. We want to clean things up. So the tempo bench press works well when we're talking about elbow position or any kind of positional uh, issues with any lift, honestly, but the bench press here specifically today. Jam press are just a really heavy tricep extension, essentially. Um, so that's why it works well. And then you're going to have like your close grip two board and your floor press. Again, that's mainly focusing on the triceps, keeping your elbows tucked. Since you're flaring, we want to try to ingrain that pattern, work on that a little bit. And the spoto press, honestly, is just to teach you to stay tight right off the chest. So spoto press, for those that don't know, you're just going to bench press normally, but you're intentionally going to leave that about an inch maybe an inch and a half off the chest with a good quality stop. It's not going to be like a bro, a bro bench, excuse me. You're actually going to stop and get a solid one, maybe two count pause and then press. And the goal is to teach isometric strength right at the chest. And to do that, you're going to have to keep your elbows in good position because if you start flare, you're obviously going to miss. So that covers that. And then the accessory work, again, this is pretty general, but generally you're going to see tricep and lat work here. So I got rolling tricep extensions, tape presses, Skull crushers, um, of barbells or dumbbells, and then lap pull downs, chest supported rows, dumbbell rows, inverted bench press rows uh, with a band. So basically, you would lay in your 
bench press positioning, you would pull the band towards you and meet that with your chest. And what you'll find when you do that exercise, your elbow is going to stay in good position because you're never going to try to row a band towards your face with your elbows up, at least in terms of strength. You would for a face pull. But if you're trying to actually load it into your lats, you're going to keep your elbows in, and that's going to reinforce that from a reverse perspective. Instead of pressing, you're actually going to be pulling, and you're going to find that that elbow position, that humerus position is going to be right where you need to be for your bench press. And then you can even implement isometrics holding it there, and that's going to work as well. So you got lots of options there. Again, most of this is talking about trying to really push you to focus on the position that you're at right there off the chest with your arms. Okay, so the next one here is then going to be missing at the chest. So again, what I talked about being a true miss uh, or, or a strength issue, these exercises are going to change just a little bit. Um, so same kind of setup here, main movement, supplemental, and accessory. Um, and so for the main movements, what I've got listed is doing your bench press, your competitive bench press with extended pauses, two, three, you can even go up to a five count. And so what that's going to do, again, teach isometric strength, Isometric strength strengthens the muscle at particular joint angles. So if you're continually missing there, you're going to get stronger at that joint angle if you spend more time there. Kind of makes sense. Um, but by doing that, you're going to work on being stronger down there at the chest. You're going to have more time under tension. Uh, it's going to develop your strength off your chest. I've got the foam board press again. Um, this is definitely a really undervalued exercise. I just need to make some content on just the foam board press itself. <clears throat> but essentially, you're just going to get like a – a foam from like a uh, Home Depot or a sofa place. Just you can find like used stuff that people are literally giving away uh, and just cut it almost into like a board. And essentially it's going to give you just a little bit of pop off the chest, but not a lot. And so what can be great about that is it can help you build confidence with those weights right there off the chest. Um, and that kind of helps with the mental piece. Um, you can still bench press against bands and chains, floor press, incline bench press, uh, Spoto press against bands and chains and close grip one boards. So <clears throat> the main thing we're after here is from the bands and chains perspective, learning how to generate as much force as possible right off the chest. Um, many people that miss right off the chest, essentially they've got a rate of force development issue. So they might be good when they get there in the pause, but then getting the weight moving, you know, they don't have that like snap and go right off their chest. You see some people that are stupid fast lifters. They got high rate of force development. People, people that are grindy do not have high rate of force development. Uh, they got more of that velocity or sorry, more force just in general. Um, and they kind of grind through stuff. So we're going to rate of force development, whether that be with the Spoto or a regular bench press are both fantastic options. And the Spoto should teach you how to pause and stay tight. So that also kind of takes off from a technical perspective. If you're not staying tight on your chest, the Spoto part can help with that. And the close grip one board is going to leave you at just a slight, um, a slight decline or a, or a slight deficit, if you will. So you're going to work in a bigger range of motion, which then can help you strength off the chest. <clears throat> the floor press is going to take the leg drive out, essentially make it more upper body. Another option is you could also do a Larson press as well. So you can take the leg drive out, get a little bit more range of motion. Um, those are all good options. Your supplemental, you got a couple different variations here. The big thing is going to be focusing on getting more range of motion. Wide grip bench press is going to take your triceps out, so you're going to focus more on your chest. <clears throat> um, it's not as comfortable. I've seen some people not have this be successful. I've seen some people have a lot of success with increasing the grip of their bench uh, during or sorry during supplemental work. Um, me personally, I did not benefit from it, but I do know that it has helped other people. Cambered bar bench press is fantastic. Uh, usually that's about a two to three inch camber, depending on how kind of bar you get. 
you're going to train that big stretch range of motion. The big thing there is just to make sure that your shoulders feel okay. Um, and then like an overhead press or an incline press is going to train more anterior shoulder. And again, that can help you with strength off the chest. Um, and then we're going to talk about the splitter press again, just teaching you to stay tight right off the chest, spending more time there. Uh, is then going to help you. So again, more carryover. And then just your accessory work is, again, still mainly working from that stretch position and blowing up the muscle groups that need addressed. So that could be high rep dumbbell bench pressing. Uh, I'm a big fan of that for those who just need to put on more size upstairs, but they usually just need more overall pec uh, development for pressing. You can, you can get more range of motion from the dumbbell. You can get better contractions to build more muscle. Uh, the bench press, I would say, is not the best hypertrophy exercise, but dumbbell benching can be in particular for the pecs. And then deficit push-ups, you can do these with your hands on weights or blocks or kettlebells. Again, training from a stretch range of motion. And then any kind of peck or fly variation would be great. Again, we're isolating the pecs. Um, so we'll get more hypertrophy-based work. Dips, dumbbell overhead press, um, and then you know, regular front raises and things like that. Regular shoulder work can help get that weight off the chest from a muscular perspective. So you good, strong shoulders, you're more likely to have more umph from your chest. So everything here is just about building as much mass almost on the front side, and that's going to help get that weight off your chest, assuming that your triceps are still good. You're still going to get some tricep work from some of this stuff, but obviously it's different than the last slide uh, where we had more tricep emphasis accessory work. And the last one's going to be missing two to four inches off the chest or what people would call your lockout. Um, as I'm sure if you have any powerlifting background, you're going to know that this is going to involve things like board presses and a lot of tricep work. Uh, it's just going to be a little bit different than our geared counterparts. Uh, because we're going to have to actually get that weight moving to some extent where the shirt's going to give you a little bit of arm off the chest. Raw, you're not going to have that. Uh, so two, three, and four boards would be great for your main movements. Again, still bench pressing its bands or chains. Um, reverse bands with heavier band assistance. So we talked about if you miss just off the chest or you're flaring, using a little bit of reverse band tension. But if you're missing a lockout, we want more band tension. The goal is for it to try to help get the weight off the chest. But then really hit hard so that we have to use our triceps to finish the exercise. So we're trying to get a little bit specific towards how we're missing by the use of the bands. And you can even do that same thing with your bands and your chains in terms of how much tension you're using there as well. Generally, you would recommend about 20-25%, but if you're really trying to focus on the lockout, you might go up a band tension. So people like this, if they usually use mini bands, I'll give them a, a main movement against doubled monster mini bands, which is a buttload of band tension. It teaches you how to press hard off the chest and how to finish weights. Same thing against a lot of chains. I'll have them, they usually we use two or three chains. I'm having them use four or five chains, or we'll do floor press work with as much chain as we can get on there. Basically start like a plate and then just add chains uh, consistently. And that's going to really work on your lockout strength. So then I talk about floor press for chains, same thing with close grip, uh, pin pressing, set slightly below the weak point. And the reason I want to say this is you want to work how to develop your power through the sticking point. You don't want it right at your sticking point because where the bar stops is actually where you run out of steam. Where you actually have issues is probably about an inch or two below that. And by working to press through that, that's going to help you. Um, and so, again, usually I like this for singles or doubles, but you can also do those against bands or chains as well to make them extra sucky. And then close grip incline work. Anybody that's ever done close grip incline work knows you got a ton of speed off the chest, and as soon as you get going, it, it hits you like a brick 
lots and lots of tricep work um, for that particular variation. And then your supplemental movements kind of just build off those. They're very similar ones. Close grip bench press versus bands and chains, more JM presses, um, shoulder saver work with a close grip. Um, again, more reverse band for press against a lot of chains and then a lot of tricep specific based um, accessory work here, skull crushers, rolling tricep extensions, press downs, dips, all those kind of good things. Anything that's very tricep heavy, uh, and, and by heavy, I mean like like heavy in terms of load, not in terms of the amount of work you're doing, but any heavy tricep extension exercise is going to be preferred, um, and then that will get you kind of moving there. So <clears throat> kind of what have I learned since then? So we'll kind of mix this up here a little bit. Um, I kind of want to talk about what I just gave you is obviously what I think is great information to help your bench press, but since I've written that article in 2016, that's seven years ago. I've worked with a lot of people. I've improved my bench press um, and, and tinker with different things. I've found some ways to maybe hopefully help you improve things as well. Um, and the first thing is that not everyone responds well to dynamic effort work. <clears throat> I used to be very pro-dynamic effort work, and I still am. But I've also had people that just do not respond the greatest to it. And they're usually those lighter weight, smaller individuals, not so much the the big guys, uh, big guys actually do pretty well with dynamic effort work. I've found the smaller people, it's usually not enough volume to keep their bench press moving in the right direction. And by their waves, just aren't as much weight change in their waves. So by adding five pounds on could be a big percentage jump. And if we're trying to wave these appropriately, we kind of just run out of umph in terms of our wiggle room with our, with our weights. So by having more volume, we can actually drop the dynamic effort work and make that up with volume based uh, pressing or a secondary bench day. Um, so I really like Louis Simmons, like six by six or eight by eight or 10 by 10. I've done all of those with people. I've got a guy that I'm working on right now. Currently we're trying to build him up to that 10 by 10 um, on his secondary day because he just didn't have enough volume. Um, his bench press was very, very specific in training, but he didn't have enough volume of training his, his movement pattern the way that he needed to. He was basically doing, you know, doubles and triples all the time, but didn't have enough actual volume to get his bench press moving. Um, there was some accessory work issues as well. But for me personally, rather than give him the dynamic effort work, we're going to go that route first just because his bench press is so far behind his other two lifts. Um, I think if we kind of talked about bar lifts and specificity, um, that can be a good way to, to knock those out as well. So just don't make sure, I guess what I'm saying here is that you don't have to do giant effort work. I'm obviously a pro believer in it, but I've come to the realization that not everyone responds to it well, and I've been willing to pivot on that. Um, the second thing is that increasing volume over time will improve your bench press. You just have to stay healthy. And, and by healthy, I really mean your shoulders and your elbows. Um, if you bench press with a straight bar three times a week for 52 weeks, you do the math. That's over our 160, 170 bar lifts or days that you're bench pressing, that's not including the amount of lifts, your elbows and your shoulders are going to get pissy. It, it's just going to happen. If you're super young, you're probably going to be okay. But if you've been in the game any extended amount of time and you're strong, there's no way you're going to be able to bench press that frequently without your shoulders or your elbows getting pissy at you. So I've kind of learned how to increase volume and that it's okay to do that with the main movement um, but we have to make sure people stay healthy. And so using things like Swiss bars and dumbbell pressing and different pressing uh, variations 
can still let you get that volume over time without aggravating the shoulders and the elbows. And I think as long as you're saying you're okay with that, everything's going to be fine. You don't have to use a straight bar all the time. Like some people would lead you to believe for your bench press to see improvement. Um, and number three, every lifter I've worked with basically since writing that article, um, but just overall in general, they need more tricep work in some fashion. I kind of talked about the lifter that I'm currently working with. His tricep work was minimal, some press downs and that's it. That's not going to cut it to build your bench press. You know, you can do all the specificity and that's fine. But if it's me, if I'm only putting five pounds on my bench press in a year, I'm not going to be very happy, especially if I don't have any tricep work. How hard is it going to be to do some sets of dumbbell skull crushers or some dips or, you know, anything that's very tricep heavy? I don't think that's hard to add into a training program, especially for the uh, return on investment. You know, doing some kettlebell or dumbbell skull crushers or rolling tricep extensions or close grip board work, that's not going to drain your recovery enough that you're going to notice anything if you add in two to three sets a week and you just pull back on some press downs. You're going to see the return on investment there. So my biggest thing when I talk to people about improving their bench press is how many sets of tricep work are you doing in a week? Me personally, I like to do at least 12 sets of triceps in a week, but that'd be spread over two days or three days or just all one day. I've done that before when I have short training weeks. You, you'll be fine. You'll recover. You just have to build up to that. Um, I do think that's what it takes to have a good, strong bench press. And the proof is in the pudding. I don't, I mean, I still bench press heavy, but at the same time, when I went to Elite FTS for Swiss, I still hit 335 on bench press and the heavy side taken before and that was like 300. Like I literally went up 10% from what I've taken. I didn't do anything differently, but guess what? I was still training my triceps hard and heavy year round with my normal bench press training. Um, and so I had the strength there to do what I needed to do if I need to do it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. So, uh, increase your tricep work, uh, too long, didn't read, uh, number four periods of pure hypertrophy work in, in particular, not bench pressing has built the best foundation of size and strength for raw lifters. All the raw people that I work with when the meat is over, I give them hypertrophy work, like bodybuilding style stuff for a minimum of four weeks. Like it's a non-negotiable with me at this point. Like if, if you want to work with me online, I'm pretty set in stone with that because I've seen what it's done in terms of recovery, building mass and the mental part of saying, Hey, I'm ready to get back underneath the bar. And if you want to do this long-term, I think that's incredibly important. Jumping back into squat benching and deadlift, literally a Tuesday after your meet was on a Saturday, I think is the stupidest thing. Uh, it's a topic for a different day. Um, but I think having the hypertrophy work like a bodybuilder, a la hypertrophy, John Meadows kind of stuff, I think is fantastic. If you look at it, you're going to have chest and shoulder days, back days, arm days, maybe some of those and a couple times a week. Um, but you're focusing on time under tension. You're using intensity techniques. You're focusing on the muscle doing the work, not the joint quote unquote joint. I'll say joint very lightly there because the joints obviously having to move, but the bench press is so technical that you're trying to get joints in optimal positions to put leverage into your advantage. And bodybuilding is almost the opposite. <laughs> they do not want to be in a good leverage position. They want to train the muscle at a giant stretch. They want to make sure that they can feel the contraction the most optimal way they can. They want to get a massive pump around that particular joint and, and completely destroy the muscle tissue in a healthy fashion. <clears throat> and I think that, is good for powerlifters that want to cruise their bench press because you don't do that. 
And so by the best time to do that is obviously after a meet, get your joints feeling better, get some hypertrophy work in, build some muscle mass in areas that you probably need it. Again, triceps, shoulders, back, <clears throat> direct chest work uh, with flies and different supersets and, you know, intensity techniques. And I think that that works fantastic. Almost everyone that I work with, the best thing they say is I make the best progress in the off season by doing hypertrophy work. Um, and then that's nice because we go back to the barbell work. Yeah. Your nervous system going to have to catch up to it, but you're going to feel tighter in the hole of your squat. You're going to feel tighter on your bench press, uh, on your chest. Those are all very positive things. So again, just make your training cyclical, uh, and it's okay to do a eight or 10 week bodybuilding program after you compete. There's nothing wrong with that. And that might help your bench press. It's actually probably going to help your bench press. I would argue <clears throat> in the long run. Uh, and then the last point here is using straight bar variations as much as the body can handle them. So I don't want to say I was anti-straight bar, but I'm obviously kind of pro-conjugate. Um, but I've definitely drifted towards trying to give more straight bar variations into my programming. So basically getting away from all the Swiss bar and cambered bar. Uh, I still use those implements when I need to, especially for people that are having shoulder and um, elbow issues 100%. But I'm trying to pick variations that still keep the straight bar in their hand if I can. So, again, benching against bands or chains or doing a floor press or a Larson press or a Spoto press or a pin press. Like, those are still using the straight bar, right? And so the more I can keep them using that, especially if there happen to be any kind of technical issues, I want to make sure that we're addressing those appropriately and we get the barbell in their hand as much as they can handle it. But that also kind of goes back to my point number two up there um, is that, you know, we just have to be healthy by increasing the volume with that implement. So again, that's kind of where communication is important. Um, and that's in any kind of approaching coaching and programming, excuse me. Um, but staying healthy is going to let you do that as much as you can. And, you know, being cyclical and rotating things around is going to also let you do that. So you can use a straight bar three weeks and every fourth week, you can use a Swiss bar or a floor press or whatever to limit range of motion, or maybe you just drop the bar entirely and you just do heavy dumbbell work. You know, doing things like that can go a long way without having shoulder and elbow issues. And then we're going to talk about some of the biggest technical issues that I see. And the reason I want to bring this up is because bench press is a very technical lift. Um, and so what do I see that where people are having issues, but also what can they do to make immediate fixes? So if you take anything away from here, hopefully I'm giving you some training ideas some programming ideas of how you can address things. But let's just say that you're like, you know, I'm doing a lot of this. I want some technique tips. Here's what I got for you. The first thing, issue that I see is hand placement and wrist position on the barbell. And the big thing is that when you go to meet the barbell, that your, your knuckles are towards the ceiling. And when you go to touch the chest, your wrist is right actually over your elbow. We, we don't want, when you come down, your hands to be inside of your, of your elbow. If you can see me visually like that, that would be a no good thing. We want to be here. So when we come down, my wrist is stacked over my elbow. And then same thing there when you're actually holding the bar that the pinky and the ring fingers are going to actually squeeze that bar hard. And that's going to help you rotate your arms, get your lats involved. And you're going to have a literally a perfect position of your upper arm when you go to bench press. Like if you squeeze your elbow, I'm sorry, your pinky and your ring fingers as hard as you can while you bench press, your arms are naturally going to twist. They're going to lock down your lats. You're going to be in a perfect position to press. And those are everything to me for the bench press starts at the hands on the barbell because if your hands are not right 
doesn't matter what you do anywhere else because you've got to get that force into the barbell. You think your hands are what's giving, making you one with the barbell. Just like when you squat, your upper back is what's making you one with the barbell. If your upper back position sucks, your squat's going to suck. Same thing with your bench press. Your hands have got to be correct. The second piece is going to be the utilization of your leg drive. So understanding that when you unrack the bar, you've got leg drive immediately. You're automatically plugged into the floor. One of the best things Harry Soko ever taught me was that your feet are the plug and the ground is the outlet. And if you want power, you got to plug into the ground. So you got to push your feet into the ground hard, whole foot contact if your whole foot bencher. If you've tucked, then you know your toes are there, but your heels are still going down and out to create tightness. And that's going to obviously keep you stable. So all your power comes from the ground, from being stabilized, being good and solid. If you're wobbly, if I can come up and touch you and move you and your body moves, you're not tight. So understanding how to use that leg drive uh, in terms of setup. But then when it goes to press, you need leg drive even when you're going down. People don't understand that when the bar is coming down to you, you still want leg drive there so you can actually stay tight. And then when it goes to press, you can finish with that leg drive so long as you keep your butt on the, on the pad. That could be, again, a technique discussion for a different day. But then you can get the extra umph from your leg drive, and you'll be good. Number three would be keeping your lats loaded from the unrack. And this is probably one of the biggest issues I see with inexperienced or younger lifters. They don't know how to put the weight into their lats. Even if they've got leg drive, their hand placement stuff looks good. When you go to give them a lift off, and you're trying to, like, push the bar like in the most optimum position, like right below their chest when you're looking over them. And they're literally almost like doing a front raise resisting you. That's telling me that they're trying to keep the weight up here in their shoulders and not down here in their lats. Hopefully visually you can see the difference that if I'm up here like this. When I go to hand them the bar, that's why they want the bar here, not down here, because when it's up here, it obviously is going to feel more comfortable right? It's loaded straight into the upper back. But if I pull my shoulder blades down and back, now that's the most optimal place for it to be. So when I go to actually lower the barbell, it's actually going to touch right below my chest. And then if I've got my pinky elbow thing, everything's going to be in a good position. When I go to press, it's going to go right where I want to go. Like it it literally will just fix everything. If you can get your lats loaded from the get-go, it is going to feel awkward if you've not done it before, especially if your lats aren't strong, which is why I think some lifters don't do it because they don't have an upper back to support their bench press. So they let it sit up here in their upper traps and they might have some upper traps, but they don't have like a good strong mid low back. And then the last thing here is just staying tight at the chest. So if you do all the other things, when you get here, understanding that you've got to keep those lats tight, you got to squeeze the bar. You got to meet the bar with your chest. You've got to have your leg drive in. You've got essentially got to be able to be completely motionless and solid with that weight on your chest to be able to optimize the press when you get the command. And to being able to do that, learn to stay tight. Again, Spoto's, Larson's, um, anything like that. One of the best drills I like from like an upper back perspective is doing your band pull aparts in your bench press position. So get in your bench press position and then do your band pull aparts that way. One, it's going to fry your rhomboids, uh, but two, it's going to teach you are you tight when you're at your chest because you got to pull that bar apart and you are sorry, you got to pull that band apart in that position. You're going to be like, Holy crap. My chest is up tall. My back feels tight. I feel in a good position. Boom. That's the position you want to be in with 200, 300, 400 pounds, whatever it is. That's what you want to be at your chest all the time, regardless of how you're training empty bar to three plates. Doesn't matter.
And that's all I've got for today on this particular topic. Um, so again, we try to go over all the bench press stuff from the weak points and even talking about some of the technical stuff and how you can address those uh, to help hopefully take your bench press to the next level. Obviously there could be an extra hour discussion on just programming alone in terms of like writing programs and everything else. But the big thing I wanted to try to take away here was giving you the exercises and how to address certain areas, because honestly the equipment that you have and how you train doesn't really matter. If you know where you're having issues, then you can almost plug and chug these things in ideally where you feel that you need them to be successful. Um, and then, you know, obviously when you do that and you do it for a prolonged period amount of time, and then if you start hitting some PRs with it, then you can kind of adapt your programming again. Where are you having issues? What needs addressed? Where are you at in your training calendar? All those do kind of matter. Um, again, you don't have to pick all those exercises for each individual one. You know, there is some crossover, but if you're constantly having lockout issues, obviously I'm going to suggest more tricep work. If you're not staying tight, you need to do more direct lat work and pause work. Um, you know, if you're just missing true strength, you just need more strength then do more actual work in terms of your chest and your shoulder work so that you can meet that better. So um, that should basically wrap up everything today. Um, we had a couple people drop in on the live stream. I really appreciate it if you came, stop by even for really five or 10 minutes, take some stuff away if you're here for a longer period amount of time. Um, again, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, it really means something to me that people actually do come and listen to some of these. Um, I, I do try to make these as educational as possible and make sure that you can take something away when you show up from a visual perspective. Um, if you are listening to this after the fact, again, thank you for tuning in to the podcast and or watching this on YouTube. If you are listening to this on the podcast, I really, really cannot recommend going to actually watch it on YouTube um, again, because I've got all the visual stuff here. It's literally like a college-based lecture um, in terms of how I've got the everything kind of presented here. So if you, you know, you can obviously take mental notes or jot some stuff down, but you can actually see some of these things and then actually figure out how you're going to put them in your programs. I'm a visual guy, so I would really like the visual piece, and I try to do that for you just so that we know. And again, I just want to, towards the end here, Always thank the people that help me. So again, thank NutriBio uh, for their supplement stuff. Again, if you would like to have some NutriBio stuff, again, I recommend going to NutriBio.com and putting BSMITLY10, that's B-S-M-I-T-L-E-Y-1-0 in for your coupon code, and I'll save you 10% on anything there. And then obviously I want to also thank Elite FTS and Dave Tate for always letting me be a part of that awesome community of people. I wouldn't be um, able to do stuff like this without their information that I learned from Dave and obviously his team um, well over 10 years ago now. Um, and so that's what's ultimately helping provide you some of that information. So um, that's all I've got for today. There's, there's anybody here leaving any kind of uh, comments or anything. So um, I don't really have any direct questions to answer. As a reminder, our next... YouTube Live, um, even Facebook Live, because I got them on Facebook now, uh, will actually end up being on Sunday, December 31st. Um, that may actually change up to Sunday, December 24th, or even Saturday, December 30th. I do know that I am going on vacation uh, basically that first week of the year. 
And uh, so I'm not exactly sure what time my flight leaves. That's a check with the wife kind of scenario. Um, I will keep you updated on social media and whatnot. But obviously, like I said, you can catch these after the fact. But I'll make sure that they happen at some point. Um, and then I'm also as well going to try to make sure I turn out some extra content for the weeks that I've kind of been a little MIA lately. So again, continue to check out all the YouTube stuff that I got. If you haven't been listening over on Spotify uh, or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, these always, if you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, whatever, these are always posted several days after it goes live. So if you want even access to the stuff earlier, again, I can't recommend going to YouTube first to find it and being on part of the Q&A because I will answer your questions, whatever you have, whether it's towards the discussion or not, uh, I would be more than happy to answer your questions. And the final thing I'll say is hopefully you felt that there was a little bit of improved audio quality. Um, I kind of put some background stuff here to kind of absorb some of the echoing because my room in here, my office room is, has like no carpet or anything. So it can just bounces off the wall. So hopefully that helps you hear a little bit of better audio quality as well. So that's all I've got here for episode 34. Episode 35 will be with a guest, which I'm not naming until um, I've got everything finished. But so the next episode will be with a guest. So I hope you enjoyed that. It was a really good conversation and really looking forward to more conversations. I've got plenty of people scheduled on the podcast to come up. If you want to see somebody, just shoot me a message. Let me know. I will try to reach out to them and get them on the podcast as well. So Again, thanks again for tuning in today. Hope you learned something. Make sure you give me a share, follow, like on Instagram, Spotify, all that great stuff. Have a great weekend watching football, and I'll catch you at the next episode. Make sure you give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else you like to consume your podcast. You can also check us out on YouTube at The Smitley, where you'll find clips and lots of educational-based material for strength and conditioning and exercise science. You can also make sure you give me a follow on Instagram at The Smitley or at Team Thirst, which is my gym Instagram page. For any more future updates on episodes to come, you can make sure you follow me there. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you at the next episode.